Tonight we're going to be looking at Psalm 51, and it's not going to be an old hymn tonight. If you'll go ahead and go to the next slide, Nathan. Uh, we're going to be singing this one to the tune of We Shall Assemble on the Mountain, one we've sung often. And if you remember the chorus, there's actually an echo that we normally sing. Glory and honor and omen. Glory and honor and omen. So if y'all want to try this out, I know it's a little bit different, but it fits with the words, and uh, I think it'll do well. So uh, let's stand uh, as we sing Psalm 51 together. According to your loving kindness, O God, be merciful to me. In your great love, blot out transgression and wash me from iniquity. My sin is constantly.
I connected? There we go. There we go. I want to start. This is, we're going to look tonight at, obviously, Psalm 51. We just sang it. This is a familiar psalm. This is the psalm. It says, preceding it, that this was the psalm of David's reflection, David's repentance after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Of course, we know the story. We know what David had done. He saw a beautiful woman bathing on her roof, and he desired her, and he sought her out, brought her into his home, and she became pregnant with his child. And to cover this up, he went and he had her husband put to the front lines, and everyone else drew back. And uh, essentially, he murdered uh, Uriah. This is a, it's a heavy sin. I, you, we talked just recently about keep me from hidden sin, keep me back from presumptuous sin. If I can keep those two things in order, then I'll be blameless and innocent of great sin. David knew a thing about great sin. That was it. That was it. But the thing about our God is that he simultaneously despises sin greater than you and I can fathom. We, we look at a situation like what David had done, and we think, my goodness, this is, this is, this is as bad as it gets. There was blood on his hands. His life was a mess. And in this culture, in this time, if people do things like that, they are, I mean, you can do a much smaller thing in this culture and be canceled. You can do, you can do, you can just uh, go yell in a coach's face and be canceled. We're done with you. That's, we, we, we don't know. I mentioned it this morning. We really don't know a thing about forgiveness. God the, the amazing thing about God is that on the end of hatred of sin, he hates it far more than you and I do. But then on the side of mercy and forgiveness, he's far more forgiving and merciful toward the thing that he hates. He'll go, I mean, he'll go from all the way over here to over here. He, it's, it's amazing the way that God is. And there's this moment when after Nathan confronted David, when David says this, let me just, just listen to this. David said to Nathan, so first David was mad at this, this character that Nathan had, and maybe you're, you're not familiar with it, but Nathan told him a little parable about a man who stole another man's sheep. It was this, only man's, this was this man's only sheep, and he took him and he ate him. And this man was grieved because his only sheep was gone, and David said, whoever did this deserves to die. Nathan said, you're the man. You're the man. And it, it was interesting how now David saw it. And this was David's response. It's a super simple response. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. That's all he said. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. How can that be? This is a just God. This is a merciful, this is, excuse me, we'll, get, we'll wait for mercy in a, in a moment. This is a just God. 
Sin has to be dealt with. It ha- you, your sin is put away. I mean, he just said, I've sinned against the Lord. That was it. That was a statement. And the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Now, I want for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, and look with me at verse 23 and following. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now, a propitiation is a means of appeasing the wrath of God. God is angry at sin, and the way to quell his anger is a propitiation. What can I offer to this divine holy being who's angry, angry at me for my sin? And he's saying God actually gave us it. It was Jesus, particularly the blood of Jesus, which was shed. He, God put forward Jesus as a propitiation. God satisfied his wrath against us by pouring out his wrath on Jesus. And Paul says this was to show God's righteousness. This was to show that God is just. That God putting Jesus on the cross and having him nailed to the cross and scourged and the crown of thorns around his head and the beatings on his face, this was to show the righteousness of God. That act, when you see that, you look at Calvary, you are seeing the righteousness of God on full display. What does that mean? Well, he says, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins like that of David. You won't die. Well, why not? The law says you do this, you die. He didn't die. God just passed over it. We know what forbearance is in debt. When you're a student and you're not ready to start paying on those, you call up Discover Student Loans. Don't ever use those ones, I promise you that. You call them up and you say, look, I'm, I'm still a full-time student. I'm not, put this in forbearance. And let me, let's, you know, I'll deal with that later. Well, this, God did this. God, God put that in forbearance. There was a debt there. With, with, in the life of David, there was a debt there. And that debt was not paid yet. And he says it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is, this is the center of our gospel that we preach. It is the greatest news in all the world that even if, even if we've not done exactly what David did, we deserve to die. And yet God, though hating our sin, has found a way to cover it. 
He's found a way to pay for it. And yet there is a thing required of us. There's no payment that we can pay. What can I pay back? But there is a thing required of us. Namely, contrition. This is what Psalm 51 is all about. Is contrition. It is that when there's sin in my life, it will not be viewed casually. It will not be viewed callously. It will not be excused. It will not be a thing that I think no big deal. I can't pay for the debt that I owe. He paid for it. And yet for me to interact with the blood of Jesus in the way like that of David, I have to be able to say like David, God, I've sinned against you. And it's not just words. What did God see in the heart of David? God saw Psalm 51 in the heart of David when David said what David said. I've sinned against the Lord. Now a lot of people can say that. A lot of people can say I've sinned. I did wrong. In the New Testament, Paul talks about two kinds of sorrow. There's godly sorrow and there's worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow, he says, leads to eternal life. Worldly sorrow leads to death. Godly sorrow is truly sorry. Worldly sorrow is just, I'm sorry that I got caught. And I might say the thing that I have to say in the moment to get out of this. The thing God does require of us is contrition. And if you want a psalm to see what that looks like on full display, it's Psalm 51. I mean, there's just no clearer example of this. So I want to start just, I'm going to scroll ahead here to verses 16 and 17, kind of starting at the back end of this, because this is what David says. I mean, this is really the foundation of the whole psalm, is what he says in verses 16 and 17. You will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering, And then he says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. What does God want when he looks out on the sons of man? Does he want our money? Does he want our uh, songs? Does he want uh, heaped up words and prayers what does he want what does he want more than anything he wants a broken spirit and a contrite heart these are the things that he wants when he looks down he sees that that is worship to him joel in his prophecy says in joel chapter 2 and verse 13 he says god god says to the people of israel he says rend your hearts not your garments. It's easy for me to put on a display. It's easy for me to take my shirt and tear it and to put some, some ashes on my face and to wear sackcloth and to go about with that kind of... But he says, tear your hearts. This is the thing that God wants. He wants the inner man. And so this is a psalm about how to repent well and then what is the result of it. And I'm just going to um, bust through uh, several very... Uh, quick examples of what what this is what's involved in this let me go back here to the beginning of this uh, psalm so obviously the first thing we just looked at it is a contrite heart that's that's step one when i go into the presence of god that has to be there a contrite heart 
a broken and contrite heart. Number two, um, we need to appeal to God's good nature. So if, if you want to go into the presence of God, you've, you've sinned, you want to make it right, appeal to the good nature of God. You see this all through the Psalms, but he says, have mercy on me, O God. I'm calling, I want your mercy. And, and the basis of that mercy is, he says, I want your mercy according to, what does he say? Your steadfast love. This is God, this is the essence of God. This is who he is. He's a God who is steadfast in love. And not only that, but he is abundant in mercy. So go into the presence of God and say, God, I want your forgiveness because you are a God of steadfast love. You are a God of abundant mercy. You are gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Aren't you glad that we serve a God like that? I'm so glad that I don't serve a God. That, look, the thing, that, the thing that separates Christianity from all the other world religions is the fact that in Christianity, you don't get to the end of your life and God say, okay, let's look at the scales. Were you 50% good or were you 51% good, 49% bad? If so, come on in. You may have been a total reprobate for your whole life until the last hour. And then God will declare you righteous having come into his presence. Look at Islam. It is not that way. You better be at least 51% good. It's not that way with our God. He hates sin more than we can imagine. And yet he's far more forgiving than we can fathom. I'm so thankful to serve this God. And I will appeal to him on that basis. So that is um, the second step appeal to God's good nature number three and this is exceedingly important in a time when we shirk responsibility this is uh, what we do in this society we shirk responsibility I I you know I even if I say that I did something wrong I'll say well the reason I did something wrong was because you did this Remember when, uh, this is the oldest trick in the book, God came to Adam, and Adam said, well, you know, it was the woman you gave me, and then he went to the woman, and she said, well, it was the snake, and look, we have to take ownership. If I did something, I did it, and this is exactly what you see here, all through here, he uses the possessive pronoun. I told you guys I'm going to bring in grammar whenever I can, blot out, what does he say? my transgressions he he doesn't just say god man if you wouldn't have given me those parents if you hadn't have given me those parents i wouldn't be like this no he says blot out my transgressions wash me thoroughly from my iniquity cleanse me from my sin for i know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight I did it this is my sin I did it no one this is not about anybody else this isn't environmental anymore it's not well you know it was because of the trauma I experienced on such and such no I did it this is me, and this is, this is really huge when you get into the scriptures, is the idea of uh, taking ownership. So <clears throat> that's um, the second thing that we, we need to do. Excuse me, the third thing is take ownership. Number four, 
we need to uh, call sin uh, what it is. Uh, he, later in the psalm, David mentions blood guiltiness. He's, he's saying, there's blood on my hands. I'm, I'm guilty of somebody else's blood. And, but notice, he, he doesn't just say, I, I, I slipped up or I, you know, I slightly stumbled. Or The terms that he uses are important. He says, my trans, let me change the, the color here. He says, my transgressions, my iniquity, my sin. He calls it what it is. We, I, you know, we're, we're, we're in a time right now where we just don't like using the word sin. Uh, we, we just don't like using it. It's a biblical word. We've got to keep on using it. And when we're talking to God, use it. I sinned. Call it what it is. Call it by name. Be specific. My transgressions, my sin is ever before you. And, you know, here it is. He says, I've, I've done what's evil. It, it was evil. It, it wasn't just that I, you know, had a moment. It wasn't just impatient toward my spouse or toward my child or toward my employee. It wasn't. No, it, he says it, it was evil. Uh, I, just call it what it is. So that's number four. Call it what it is. And number five, be desperately humble before God. Be desperately humble. When we, when we go into his presence, don't, don't put on airs. Don't, don't go into his presence and use, you don't have an air of, of confidence in self, right? This, this is, it's a weird time now where everyone says all your confidence needs to be in yourself. It's not, it's not actually true. Uh, before the living God, I, I, I mean, all of my confidence really ultimately is in Jesus Christ, Paul doesn't say I can do all things. He, he says something else. I can do all things through Christ. David said, I'm going to slay you today, Goliath, because I've got bigger biceps than you. It's not what he said. He said, you defied the living God and he will give you into my hands. Greatly confident not confident in self, confident in the living God. When we go before God, there can't be an air of self-confidence. It has to be, look at what he says. Behold, verse 5, I was brought forth, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Is this a bit hyperbolic? Yeah. But what he's saying is, I don't remember a day in my life when I wasn't a sinner. Do you remember the day? Does anybody remember the, like the exact moment where you crossed over from being this perfect babe to being a, a sinner? Does anybody remember it? Didn't it kind of just happen like you, 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 when you're two years old and three years old, you, you know, you'd hit mom in the face when you were mad about something and you'd take your, your you know, you'd take your toy from your brother and sister and you'd do, you know, and then, like one day, maybe, maybe one day it kind of clicks and you're like, oh, that's not good. I shouldn't be doing that. And yet you were doing silly stuff the whole way. You know, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, the Proverbs say. David's saying, God, I, so here's the king of Israel. This is a man after God's own heart. This is the standard of kings. Even, even after this point. And it's, it's precisely because of this. But this man, he says, God, look, I've been a sinner as long as I can remember. 
I, it was as if I was born this way. Now, we don't believe that children are born bearing the, the guilt of Adam's sin. Apart from law, there is no sin. If you don't know the law, you, you cannot sin. And that doesn't come until later years. Uh, I think Paul talks about what, what that looks like in Romans chapter 7. Eventually, I'll, I'll talk about that transition period. But, um, but he's saying, God, this is just who I am. I was brought forth in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. This is humility. I'm not, I'm not going to stand up here and be pompous and prideful and say, look, I'm this perfect man. I, I sin, and I've been this way all along. Um, by the way, I find encouragement reading this from David. Uh, because sometimes when we live in a time where you know, everyone pretends to be righteous on their own standard, you can feel like, oh, I'm, I'm the... I'm the bad one and everybody else is so great. I'm just looking at David and I'm, I'm being built up by him. And then, so that's number five. Number six, tell yourself the truth in your mind rather than telling yourself lies. Look at verse six. The way we escape repentance is by saying to ourselves, I didn't do anything wrong. Or by knowing that we've done something wrong and then, like, it's over there in the corner, but I'm not going to look at it, right? Look at what he says. David says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. He's saying, inside of me, inside my mind, inside my being, I'm you, you want truth. Just, you know, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. It's the idea of not being split in two directions. I, on the inside, you, you're, you're telling yourself, I, this is who I am. I, I'm not going to lie about it. This is who I am. I'm, I'm a sinner. I, I, I rebelled. And just be honest about it. So um, that's, that's number six. And then number seven, after you've displayed that, what you do is you just ask God, God, I've told you everything. Now on the basis of your great mercy, make me clean, okay? And so we're just going to run through this real quick. He just says, purge me with hyssop. That was an ancient soap, basically. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. But he's saying, God, I need you to do this. How can I get this filth off my hands? You do this, oh God. You are a gracious and merciful God. You have steadfast love. I have been sinning as long as I can remember. I can't make myself clean, but I know that you can, and I know that you will on the basis of your great name. Purge me, wash me, <clears throat> let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. It, it, have you ever been you know guilty of something and it just feels like an ache on the inside of your person anybody ever felt that before you just feel that guilt and it's just there and it just you know it's maybe not an acute pain like it's not like a knife puncture but it's more like this weighing down just a it's like a the feeling of a poison that's just kind of sitting there and it, it makes you lethargic and all these things he's saying let these these bones that you've broken rejoice hide your face it's amazing. Hide your face from my sins. Don't look at them anymore. Blot out all my iniquities. Here's how God's not going to see them. He's going to cover them. 
He's going to put them under the blood of Jesus. That's what he's going to do. He's going to take those sins, put them under the blood, and all he's going to see is Jesus' righteous perfection. Create in me. These are all things we're asking God. God, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. You know, some say that the Holy Spirit was not really a present idea until the New Testament. I, I don't think so. I see it all through the Old Testament. Now, it may not have been the outpouring on every individual like we see, but there are foretastes of it. David was endowed with the Holy Spirit of God by virtue of his being king and prophet. Restore to me the joy of Here's where it is. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. He's been weighed down by this. He says, God, I just want to be joyful again. And then here's the result of this. If all that, if we'll do all of that, the result is, notice this transition. He says, then, here's what's going to happen, dear God. If you'll do this for me, if you'll cleanse me, if if you'll fix these bones that are broken, if you'll, if you'll make me, uh, you know, clean in my heart, if you'll give me your, your Holy Spirit and restore to me the joy of your salvation, what I'm going to do is I will, I'm going to teach transgressors your ways. That's what I'm going to do with my time. That's what I'm going to do. This is, this is the basis of a really good testimony, is a person who's done some really bad things and God has forgiven them for it and then they can go look at the people in the world that are doing really bad things and they don't feel self you know they don't feel pompous or or self-righteous in front of them but they know there's a better way you can get out of that and he's saying God that's what I'm going to do I'm going to use my life to teach transgressors your ways imagine if everybody in the church of Christ repented like David how powerful the testimony of the church would be. Can you imagine? Wouldn't it be a powerful testimony? I will teach transgressors your ways, and the result will be that sinners will return to you. They'll see God's graciousness and say, I want to be, be with that God. And the other thing is, he's not going around moping and you know, downcast anymore. He says, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, of my salvation. O God, O God of my salvation. And notice the other results. It's not just that I'm going to teach, but one of the reasons people are even interested in the teaching in the first place is my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. He's singing. There's a skip in his step. There's joy in his being. He's been restored to life. God will do this. Uh, he's done it in my life. Anybody done it? Has he done it in your life before? It's a good feeling. And then you're just, I want to tell the world about Jesus. He is the only answer. So I'm going to sing about him. And, and he goes on. He says, oh, Lord, open my, my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. So he's singing. And so the, here's where he says, you, you, you know, I won't, you will not delight in sacrifice or I'd give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Um, so I, I, I just want to finish by, by saying this. If you're forgiven by God, you are forgiven of all. Uh, you, you, may have a, you, you may have the law of the land that still has an indictment. You may have the, you know, the indictment of a you know, family member. You may have somebody who is not willing to forgive or whatever, but... If you're forgiven by God, you are forgiven of all. And it's the only forgiveness that really 
counts for anything. It's the only one that really matters. And here in verse 4, he says, against you, this is so stunning, he, he, he impregnated Bathsheba, murdered Uriah, okay? And then he says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight. And then he says this, so that you, God, may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Because all sin is against God, then if God forgives, it doesn't matter if a man says, well, you shouldn't be forgiven. The sin was against God, and it's God's to forgive. And so the call and the challenge is, go to our great God. Go with contrition, and he will meet you at Calvary. Let's sing Psalm 51 again.
And so if you have any need at this time, we invite you to uh, come forward as we stand and we sing together.